This is a Baby Brunch podcast. Hey everyone and welcome to another special broadcast. Today we're talking mental health and inclusivity. A big thank you to FedHealth. This podcast is proudly brought to you by FedHealth. FedHealth's FlexiFed 2 and 3 options offer superb maternity and childhood benefits, including its free FedHealth baby program to see members through their pregnancy and parenting journeys. Choose FedHealth for trusted medical aid cover that gives you choice, flexibility and control and that will be with you through every stage of your family's unique journey. Fed Health, we let you be you. So a big thank you to our guests who are joining us today. Shanae Habulhan, you are no stranger to Parents and Baby Brunch. In fact, you were one of our very first podcasts. At the time we chatted to you, uh, I remember how happy we were that your young little girl have survived a terrible accident. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for putting time aside to, to chat about inclusivity. Uh, Dr. Leandre Arteng is with us again. The last time we chatted, we had a podcast on mental health. We learned so much about how to recognize when there is a disorder present or even how to treat self and other people if you feel that you know you are suffering from a disease or uh, complications regarding mental health. So thank you so much to both of you for joining us again. Shani, what has happened since? I mean, the last time we spoke, I remember it was amazing. You talked about your young little girl and how how she almost drowned and how you saved her life. Now I have heard you're a student. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, so since um, then, I've actually, one of my previous lecturers, he listened to our podcast and um, he actually approached me to do my master's with him and when he asked me what I'd like to do it about I the first word that came to um, to mind was accessibility mm. so I am currently doing um, my master's in well the title of my master's is the accessibility of recreational facilities within the Western Cape um, yeah and with Kaylee growing bigger and us just going on this journey, I've been noticing a couple of um, hiccups in the way, new challenges. Um, and mm. I thought, you know, as a therapist, I'm aware of these things, but I didn't have um, quite the insight to it as the person receiving it. And I thought if I'm feeling that way, then other parents would be feeling the same way too. And perhaps mm. doing by doing my master's, I can then sort of start the conversation and get things going mm. and starting to make a difference um, in others in other people's lives um, to, to make it a little bit better. So I want to take people back. So if you haven't heard this podcast before, um, when we spoke to Shanae the last time, we approached her because she had a story to tell about survival. A little girl almost drowned. She managed to save her. She survived. She's a physiotherapist. She she practiced CPR on her own little girl. And her little girl has special needs and she's adorable and she's alive and well. And now she's doing her master's in order to help other people. I think you're very courageous. Thank you so much. I think it's the support that I'm receiving from my family and people like you. Um, who are just listening, <laughs> just listening to the story and um, wanting to get the message out there, you know, um, mm. everybody has a place in this world and we should help each other. Yeah, well, there is a message and, and doctor, I'd like to welcome you back. The last time we, we chatted on our podcast, we unpacked mental health and, and also your passion for research and public health. Um, 
most of us, including all of our parents who are watching this special broadcast, have been affected some way during lockdown. And it's almost become more okay to talk about how your head is feeling, mental health, mindfulness, uh, COVID and lockdown. Take us back to that podcast. What would you say is mental health? I mean, what should we be suffering from or what is this disease if we say we have complications around our mental health? Lana, thanks for having me back on your show again. It's a privilege to, to talk about these things. Um, the World Health Organization says that mental health is a state of well-being in which every individual realizes their own potential, they can work productively and fruitfully, um, and they can make a a contribution to their community and they can cope with the normal things that life throws at them. So it's quite a mouthful and it means that it's not just the absence of illness or the absence of something being wrong. It actually means that we are meant and expected and allowed to flourish. And um, and I think we need to think about mental health in that way. So mental mm -hmm. illness um, can present in many different ways and different conditions have different symptoms. Um, and it usually is a combination of, of abnormal thoughts and feelings and perceptions and relationships to others. And when those things start happening and they, they continue for a long time and they start affecting your ability to function and flourish, then we start thinking about mental illness. So all of us can think of our state of mind as mental health and how we can flourish because just by recognizing that we are in this space called life, we need to flourish and take care of ourselves the same way we go and have yoga or take the kids around the block to, so that they can see beautiful flowers and birds. We also need to take care of our minds. Differently able people, Shanae, also have mental health difficulties around perhaps how people treat them because we don't always know. What would you say as a mom have you experienced? Has it been difficult for you and your daughter as to how other people treat you? Um, I definitely think that is something um, that comes up. Um, because she she lived a completely normal life before, we weren't used to people staring at us or um, children asking questions silently to their moms. Um, and Kaylee understanding what they are saying, it's a little bit difficult for her um, to comprehend, but why all of a sudden are people looking at me? so strangely and it makes her feel different it makes her feel as if she doesn't belong or there's something wrong with her but in actual fact it's just a physical being that's limited um, and that's why i really like the word differently abled because it doesn't mean that necessarily that you can't do but um, perhaps you can do something that somebody else can't do mm. too um, yeah, and it's, it's quite hard looking at it because I, I also have to explain certain things to her and you don't always know how to convey um, other people's feelings necessarily to a child of that age. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult one. So, so you just mentioned the label. I mean, is it important that we, that we get educated on how to label people? I mean, Aren't we excluding people by giving them that label? So if we do think of inclusivity, do we say differently abled people? Is it still, do we still say disabled people? Educate us. So I think um, the most commonly used word is disabled, but I do feel mm -hmm. this is my personal opinion um, coming from a mom. I feel that it has this negative um, 
vibrant out of it. If you say disabled, um, I like the other day I had a, a conversation with somebody and um, we were talking about how people's differences. We all have differences, but it doesn't mean that we are disabled. So, for example, um, I can't sing, but I could be in a room full of singers, but that doesn't mean I'm disabled, right? It's mm. just I can do something different. Maybe I can do art. Um, but differently able just means I'm still abled, but I can do it in a different way. Um, so that's why I like differently abled a little bit better. And I think the world is moving in that direction of um, using the term differently abled rather than disabled because of that negative vibe that it sends off because it immediately puts somebody in a box. You are different. You can't do something. Mm. There's something wrong with you. Mm. Well, I want to stick with the theme of, of labels. Dr. Labeling people or someone that has have admitted that um you know that that you're struggling mentally um i remember in our previous podcast we talked about terms like you know being crazy of an african sailor oh yes malman of you know how do we include people who are struggling with disease and i'm talking everything from the examples that we've named in previous conversations whether you feel bipolar or whether you feel that you are suffering um, of alcoholism or perhaps you are in a state that you don't even know you are that hasn't been diagnosed yet how do we include people and make them feel like they are still part of society just because they are struggling with something mentally it doesn't mean they have to be excluded yeah i think um it's important to realize that it could happen to any of us just like we, any of us can break a bone or get some other illness, a cancer or whatever, all of us are vulnerable at some point. And, and in fact, one in three South Africans will suffer from a, a mental illness at some point in their lives. So we all are vulnerable and it could happen to any of us. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign that nobody goes around asking to, to be depressed. Nobody wishes that for themselves. So when it happens to someone, we have to have empathy with that. And it's and it's a good way to think of it similarly as we would have with someone having a broken leg, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you can't just expect them to keep running on the, that leg. Uh, if they tell you that something's wrong, listen to them and uh, accept that, that something's wrong. And don't just tell them to pull themselves together and carry on. Um, and if you have that broken leg, go and get help. Get someone to put a cast on your leg so that you can get better. You don't have to keep walking on the broken leg. So I think it's it's a realization that it can happen to anyone. And it's not a weakness. It's not something to be uh, judging someone about. Um, it's an illness like any other. It happens to some people and it can be treated and it can get better. You just took me back to the conversation that we had and I remember you saying something along the lines of when you have diabetes, you medicate and you want to and you follow a special diet because you want to have optimum health or you want to feel good. And the same with mental health. You know, you want to treat or medicate or do things in order to live a really good and beautiful life. So you are right. Shani, if if I think of inclusivity in our community when it comes to differently abled people. What would inclusivity mean to you? I mean, we've had many conversations around this to the point that I remember the one day I went on radio and I said something like, who designs these toilets for differently abled people? You know, all it has is a seat and a pole. Yeah. Who, who's holding on and who's not, you know? 
When it comes to inclusivity, what does it mean for differently abled children? So it means that they can access something um, equally, the same as you and I would be able to. So if, um, for example, my daughter, she, is, she cannot use the toilet by herself. Um, somebody physically needs to put her onto it. But um, in restrooms, there's only one disabled toilet. Um, and if you think about it, we just pop into a bathroom and we can use it. But the disabled person or the differently abled person needs to wait. Because often what they do is they also put the, um, the baby changing station inside that mm-hmm. bathroom as well. But for me, I need a proper big table for my big baby <laughs> to lay on so that I can change her there and not do it inside the car or do it on mm-hmm. the floor because there's no space to be able to do it um, and I think people just probably think that um, if there's a ramp then it means the disabled person can use that place but it doesn't really show mm-hmm. how that person is able to um, engage with whatever activity it is or um, whatever the setup is inside that space so if we use a restaurant for example um, Kaylee's chair is quite high up, so she she's not always able to go underneath the seat. But if you think of a spur, they have these soft seats that's against a wall. So Kaylee will have to sit outside of it. And I think that brings you or that person um, out of the conversation a little bit because we are speaking to one another, but she's the only one that we actually have to turn to. And she's sitting a little bit far because she cannot be underneath um, the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, a Frozen 2 came out not too long ago and we wanted to go to Canal Walk because they have these huge PlayStation um, thing like right in the middle where they could go down the slopes and stuff but um, I wasn't allowed to go inside with her because it were, was for kids um, and I explained to one of the managers there but she's unable to go down your slides by herself I need to do it with her and me being her, her mom, I know her the best. So someone else will feel quite scared picking up this big 30 kilogram little girl who shakes quite a bit and then having to go down this <laughs> slide with her. And then he said, oh, but we do have um, other differently able children who um, play on our parks because we have something like this often. And um, But mm. normally we do it between 10 and 11 because then we have more staff at hand or we do it between 3 and 4 in the afternoon. So that means I really, if I want to go to Canal Walk and have my daughter play on those slides, I have to manage my time in a way that um, will allow Kaylee to fit within that space of time and not fall without it. So I literally have to plan my day to the T so that I can Mm. make it just for that one hour slot. But it just feels like there's a lot more planning in it. Other than the fact that you need to get her out of the house, because she's differently abled, it feels like no one has asked the question who they are building this slide for or who they are making this toilet for yeah. or who they are building this bus for. I know that there's an issue with buses. Most of our children who are differently abled can't get onto these buses because it has a step. Yes, yes. <laughs> who gets onto a bus? So with a step so i that's something that also just um 
mind boggled me because um, my daughter attends a special needs school, um, which was made specifically for people with um, physical challenges. And each school provides transport. So you would think that the transport would be adapted accordingly. But I don't think, I'm not sure, I'm speaking under correction here, but um, I don't think WCED, when they give the instructions, they really think about all um, the cost implications and everything that needs to be put in place for the child to really access um, the schooling system properly. So schools buy these buses. They don't get it from anyone. Um, they buy the buses and they buy what they are able to afford and that can hold um, the most kids. So a lift costs 72,000 Rand. That's just the starting price for it. What school can really afford all of that, you know? Mm. But I, I have to put my child on this bus so that she can go to school. But yet she's unable to because of a little step that's getting in the way. Because a bus isn't like a car um, where you can literally just pick the person up and just pivot them into the car. You need to pick them up you need to climb on the step and then put them in. So it makes no sense. It really makes no, no sense why um, mm. our kids still have to struggle like this. And it's a place that's designed specifically for them. For, for children with, with special needs. Yeah. Doctor, I'm going to ask you now from a mental health point of view, but Shone, what's the one thing they could have done? If, I mean... In terms of inclusivity, when we talk, usually we say if you just because you know one mom, you don't know all other moms. Just because you know one disabled person, you need to kind of learn, listen and talk to all of us who's attending the center or who needs to use this bathroom. If we had to educate our public, our architects, the people that builds and creates these experiences for our children, what's the one thing you would say to them? Do we do we ask? It's something that I, um, I've actually looked at in my masters. Um, we, I don't think people always think disability. Um, there are these different levels within that um, term. So when I step into a facility, I immediately think this is designed more for a paraplegic. So somebody who can use their hands has good right. um, control of the upper body, um, but not the person who cannot do anything for themselves at mm. all. Um, so if I could speak to an architect and um, make them aware of, we have a classification system, it's called the gross motor classification system. So um, people are scaled to what um, their mobility um, is like. And um, it's a rating of no, one to five. And five being the lowest function and one being somebody like you and I, we have the least, um, we have the most function. Right. We have the most function and we can do things completely on our own. So I would like them to use that as a reference point. Can the GMFC level five also use this facility? Because if you cater for the most needs, I think everyone else below that would be able to have access to it. Too. Yeah, that, that's all that I, I would be able to um, recommend. And I think what would also be a good idea is if they actually had 
some um, somebody sitting on their panel when they dis discuss what um, they should if this building um, should have X, Y, and Z, will it be suitable for this, that, and that? And have a therapist on the board as well. Um, not just ticks a check box, box um, for the SANS document and says, okay, we have this check, 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 but actually let the, the people with special needs um, and who have um, different levels, not just the paraplegic, because in the paraplegic will say, yes, I can do it. And then um, <laughs> the person with more needs, I was like, oh, what happened to me? You know, and then mm, you had the people what about me? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, I think that would be a good idea. And Dr. You, you would know we work as an MDT, a multidisciplinary team. If we all work together, the more um, minds um, on a topic, the better the outcome will be. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I can perhaps mention that I had the privilege to attend uh, a meeting in the United States where it was more around mental health and um, uh, substance use problems in pregnancy. But around the table, they had representatives from mental health uh, policy makers and hospitals and the social development department. But a very key component of the team around the table that discussed how to deal with this problem were patient representatives, people with lived experience of these problems. And um, they wouldn't come to decisions or conclusions about what to do unless they've had these heard these people and heard what, what it is that they need. Because it doesn't help mm. to make a, a solution for a problem, but you don't actually listen to the people who have to use that solution. 100%. So I think it's incredibly important. I think... Uh, I think we should do more of that in our country. I think we often have like this top-down uh, approach to to health problems, and we might, you know we look at research and we think we know what we're doing. But we need to listen to the people who, at the end of the day, have to use whatever interventions we we, we put in place. Doctor Diagnosis makes us aware of how different we are, and I'm wondering whether it is helpful. Is it helpful to? to be diagnosed and I almost want to ask, and then what? And when do you know is the right time to go and ask or seek help? When is the right time to go to your GP and go, I think something is up, maybe I need a diagnosis? Ilana, I think a diagnosis is helpful because it helps us identify a problem and put a name to it. And that helps us determine what we can do about it. Um, I think it becomes a problem if the diagnosis becomes a label and it becomes the thing that defines a person. That's only a part of a person. It's not their entire being. They are not their depression or their disability. They are more than that. It might be a very significant part of who they are, but it doesn't define them uh, in totality. In terms of when to seek help, generally, um, the rule of thumb is like I've mentioned earlier, if, if, if your behavior or your child's behavior or your emotions or your thoughts or perceptions start affecting your functioning, affecting your ability to work or the child's ability to interact with their friends or to, um, to function at school, um, if you start noticing these kind of problems in your child or in yourself, then it might be time to start seeking help. And generally with emotions, uh, we all go through difficult periods of time in our lives. We all, uh, you know, we deal with bereavement. We deal with the normal knocks of life at, the, um, at some point. But when you start feeling these things affecting your functioning and these emotions just start getting 
worse and, and usually a, a you know a two week period is the sort of cutoff if it's if it lasts longer than that then that's a good place to start looking for help and your general practitioner is a good port of call if you don't have access to a general practitioner go to your local clinic um, and they'd be able to refer you to to where you need to to, to be mm. you said something that caught my attention mental health and difficulties within children how how do we aren't they just different you know i have two children i have four children i'm a stepmom too none of my kids are the same my two littlies, that was so different. So how do we know what to look for in children? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's similar as to an adult. So if, if the child is able to go to school, they're able to make friends and play and they seem generally happy, then you're probably, you're probably on the right track. But if those things start deteriorating and if you see that the child starts withdrawing or they start struggling at school or they seem anxious or um, it, sometimes they'll even tell you, you know, something doesn't feel right, then it's, it's a good place mm -hmm. to start talking to them and to start asking for, for, for help and someone else to, to maybe have a look at the child and see, see whether everything is fine. And I'm sure Shanae could also... Uh, tell us about you know assessments and things that can be done uh, perhaps more in the occupational therapy space that's also uh, a good a good resource where where uh, formal assessments can be made to see whether the child actually has a problem or whether they are perhaps just different i mean everybody's different and that's also something to celebrate so talking about celebrating now we're in a world and we hopefully have educated everyone including our parents of how we can celebrate being different and how inclusivity and empathy together with patience is something that we all still learning and especially listening and understanding or trying to understand each other, our children, and to be more sensitive to what's happening around us when it comes to mental health and inclusivity. Shanae, how would you say we can go about to create this new normal for our little people but also in an environment where everyone else is still learning. You know, we're still learning that when you see a differently abled person, instead of staring at them, go up to the mom and ask yeah. so that they can tell you. So what can you and how can we teach everyone else to create a new normal so that, so that it's not so difficult? Ilona, I think it starts off with um, the mainstream society and how accessible everything is. I think that if everybody decided not to segregate our people um, as much as they do, so designing special areas or special schools and um, rather having this the differently abled person sitting in the same class as the able-bodied child. Um, I, I look at it when I'm at work and we don't all, we don't just have the um, the children with physical challenges. We have kids who have learning um, difficulties as well. And it's become such a normal phenomenon for them. They don't look at um, the child in the wheelchair and refer to them as um, the, the girl in the wheelchair who shakes all the time. They refer to the child as, oh, this is my friend Kaylee. She's in grade three. She's in the purple wheelchair. Um, so it becomes a normal thing for them because mm. they are so um, 
in tune with it or it's part of their life they see it all the time they're not wondering about it anymore so if we could as a society start including um our differently abled people in normal um places that you and i would go to i think it will will start um in itself it will educate people um about it more and make them a bit more aware of um the difficulties there are um in the world um, for them, but it will make them feel that it's not, you're actually not that different. Um, you, you, you have the same mm. Um, mm. ones that I have. You want to make friends and have fun and go to the beach, um, have 10 friends at the cinema instead of just you and one other person in the wheelchair, um, you know? So um, if we started to include them in our spaces and not create special places for them, um, it will make things different. It will make things normal for them. Mm. I think also, um, if you have, if you are wondering about something, um, why not rather come up, try to make conversation um, with us, and if, if um, we can answer the questions that you have, we'll gladly answer the questions. Um, it just makes it a little bit better, and that way you are educating yourself, and um, it makes us feel less awkward having you staring at us and wondering what's happening, but you actually coming up to ask us what's, um, rather what the diagnosis is and be a little tactful in the, the words that you use. Not some, don't ask somebody what's wrong with you because um, that also has a negative tone to it and it might make the child feel, oh, there's something wrong with me, but actually it's just my diagnosis. I am not my diagnosis. I am still Shawnee mm. or I'm still Kaylee. Um, mm. It's just something that's happened to me and I'm dealing with it and I have so much more to offer. Mm. Doctor, how can we destigmatize mental health or even therapy? Um, someone the other day described therapy as, you know, you, you go to yoga for the body and so we eat healthy food in order to feel healthy. Surely we can help our minds by chatting to someone or by having therapy. How can we destigmatize mental health and the things that we need to do in order to stay mentally fit? Lana, I think it's, it's it ties in with, with what I mentioned earlier. I think we need to start seeing it as, as an illness, as, as any other. It's not something strange. It's not something evil. It's not something mystical. Uh, it's something that happens and, um, uh, and it can happen to any, any of us. And so, um, uh, there is help available as well. It's not something that once you've got it, then there's nothing to be done about it. Um, and I think, if we think about it in that way um, and we start being open about it, same as like we've mentioned before, if someone has diabetes, we're not going to call them funny names or tell them, oh, but you deserve to have diabetes or you deserve to have cancer or you deserve to have a broken bone. And it's exactly the same with mental illness. And so we need to treat it in that way, see it as something that um, that uh, can be supported and, and try and support someone who needs to, 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 to come out of that. Um, in terms of inclusivity, perhaps I can also just uh, uh, add on what Shanae has, was, has said. Um, I, I read something yesterday, which is quite interesting, where they said instead of seeing someone with a, with a disability, reading them as, as, as symptomatic or, or problematic or something that needs fixing or treating or improving, 
let's rather see them in a humanistic way, in a cultural way, and see them as a unique demographic, a unique part of our society that brings their own contribution to society, their own unique um, difference. Yes, they've got needs, but so do everybody else. The elderly need frail care, children need education, um, and the differently able people have their needs, but they have their unique contributions to make as well. And I think we need to see them as another color in our rainbow of, of, of diversity. And, and I think that's, that's really a way to, to include everybody. It's really beautifully put. Thank you. There's, I mean, we can speak about this for hours because there's, there's just so much when it's, and it's, and it's my passion. I want everyone to feel like they belong. I want everyone to feel like they had a chance to explain and that someone actually paid attention or listened. If, if you had to conclude things for us, doctor, what would you want to say around mental health specifically because the year has been tough? Yes, it's not over. And yes, we goal setting until December and beyond and all of those beautiful things with our micro wins in business. And, but when it comes to our mental health, what's the one piece of reassurance you can give our parents who are watching today? I think if you find yourself, um, in the bottom of a, a dark pit or you feel like one of your family members is sitting there, um, don't think that you're the only one. There are a lot of people who are in that same place, um, and especially now after the difficulties that we've all been through uh, the past uh, year or so. Um, you're not the only one, and you don't have to keep sitting there and you don't have to sink deeper. Just look up and see the hand that's reaching down to help you. There are professionals who are trained to help you. They're ready to help you. And you just need to reach up and, and get help. Um, you don't need to, to stay there. You don't need to walk on a broken leg. You don't need to stay in depression or anxiety or whatever mental illness is ailing you or your, or your family member. Um, you can get help and you're entitled to it. You're entitled to flourish. So, so reach out and, and get help. Shanae, our master's graduate, who is inspired by her young daughter to further her studies so that you can educate the rest of the world and all of our parents, what do you want to say to everyone? Um, I would just like to say, just, just be kind and um, realize that everybody has something different about them. Um, and that's what makes us unique. We're all individuals. Um, and don't look at what you see on the outside, but um, try to un, um, unveil what's inside. And I think the rest will just follow. Have empathy rather than sympathy too. Um, that's my motto. This podcast is proudly brought to you by FedHealth. FedHealth's FlexiFed 2 and 3 options offer superb maternity and childhood benefits, including its free FedHealth baby program to see members through their pregnancy and parenting journeys. Choose FedHealth for trusted medical aid cover that gives you choice, flexibility and control, and that will be with you through every stage of your family's unique journey. FedHealth. We let you be you.